Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a special guest, Bethel McGrew. She's been on before. She is a writer, she is a cultural critic, and she has her PhD in mathematics. And today we're going to talk about Canada's euthanasia law and all of its implications. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Uh, Please welcome Bethel McGrew. Hi, Beckett. Great to be here. Good to have you. Um, So we're going to talk about your article. You wrote an article on your Substack called Which Way Canadian Man? And we're going to talk about the the euthanasia law in Canada. But first, let's tell tell us what, because it's the acronym is MAID or MAID. I guess they call it MAID. That's right. Um, which is medical assistance in dying. So what is this law? How long has it been in effect? And uh, what are the kind of statistics around it? Sure. So... <clears throat> Euthanasia was first legalized in Canada in the summer of 2016. Um, There was a a court case and the uh, criminal code was overwritten to allow doctors to euthanize patients. But it was uh, limited to patients whose death was um, reasonably foreseeable. That was the the code phrase for it. So, um, you know, patients basically kind of at the hospice level. Then... About five years later, uh, March 2021, after um, 
a significant amount of lobbying from activists that got expanded <clears throat> to patients who who weren't on the brink of death necessarily. Maybe they were just severely disabled um, or they were in really intense chronic pain, something like that. Um, but it was still subject to safeguards. So there's a lot of, you know, euphemism and code language around this kind of stuff um, to try and lull people into thinking this is fine. It's not that bad. We're being careful, right? Um, yeah, because I think Justin Trudeau talks about supports and cares. He says he assured, uh, this is in uh, Alexander Rakin's article. Okay, he says yeah. that Trudeau assured, he assured that people will be able to choose assisted death, quote, in a way that isn't because you're not getting the supports and cares that you actually need. Right. Uh, and in fact, that is exactly what's happening. Um, so the, yeah, the article that you're citing came out in the, the New Atlantis at the end of last year, and it's a very good, thorough expose, essentially, um, looking at various primary sources and a lot of the euthanasia providers in their own words, and just presenting the picture of what's, how this is actually starting to play out and how it's playing out is that um, a lot of people, about like 10,000 just last year, who are in a particularly vulnerable place financially, um, emotionally, mentally, are maybe even not necessarily at a point where they would say, I want to die. In fact, they might even say, I don't want to die, but I just can't get certain things that I need to have a, a kind of a decent quality of life. I can't get the medicine or the housing or um, the, the wheelchair or something that I need. So there was a disabled veteran who, right. yeah, she, she needed um, some kind of a specialized wheelchair support system thing, tried to apply and jump through the hoops to get it, couldn't get it. So what's happening is these people will be turned down for their requests for different things. And then the government will say, well, you know, there is this other option. Have you considered medically assisted dying? And so it's very pernicious because they're, they're planting the suggestion of suicide into people's minds. And then that nudges them down that path. And people will even say in interviews, it's not that I want to die. It's just that I don't see great options for continuing to live and I'm miserable mm -hmm. and I can't get the things I need. So, um, yeah, everything Justin Trudeau said is false. <laughs> yeah, in fact, um, well, first of all, this, in terms of the statistics, I think in the in the last year, or what was it in the last year? It was ten thousand over ten thousand deaths. Yeah. So, it in uh, this is in your article. It says that in twenty sixteen, uh, euthanasia was legalized also in California. Correct. Yeah. And Let's see. In 2021, there 486 people died using California's made program, and 10,000 over 10,000 you in Canada. Uh, so that kind of is a stark contrast. Yes. Yep. And I think I, I said last year a minute ago. I actually should have said that's 2021, right? And that's a very telling contrast because California has the same about the same population as Canada. Yeah, you know, very very dense state. Um, so it's a great comparison case because you have same population, same amount of time for um, this to unfold, but it's it's happening much more rapidly in Canada. And then with 2021, with this new opening up, it's 
really accelerated. So yeah, they, I think they're they're expanding it now to minors and to even infants. Is that well? Correct? Not not yet. So I mean, there's a there's a very vocal uh, block of people who would like that to happen, and so it's it's definitely on the horizon. What's what's even um, what's coming up even faster potentially is uh, this March. The prohibition on doing this for mental illness is uh, going to lift, and then there will be a decision made as to whether to extend it there. So for now, they're only extending it if there's some severe physical condition. Um, but come March, it, the situation could change to where if you're if all that you are is clinically depressed, let's say, or mentally ill in some other way, you, you could apply for that reason too. For minors, children, um, I, I don't remember if there's a, a specific date when that would come up for discussion or if it's just that that's something some people would like to see and it could potentially happen. As of now, it's it's not happening yet. And well, so what do you what do you think accounts for the the dramatic difference in numbers from Canada and California? Is it just the government pushing it more or what, what's going on? Yeah, a combination of things. I mean, I think. It would have been good for me to check this before the show, but I, I think possibly with the, especially 2021, um, I, I think that what Canada did may have opened up more categories of people uh, who are able to access it than are in California. So it might be that right now in California, it's just the uh, the people whose death is reasonably foreseeable or whatever the code phrase is. So, you know, maybe it's more limited to seniors or, or whatnot. Um and that now that they've opened it up, that's really accelerated things. Also, too, um, Canada, I mean, Canada's economy is an absolute mess. Um, I mean, they, they run on this socialized medicine system. And so what a lot of people have have noticed is this is this is turning into this kind of gruesomely efficient way um, to try and sweep their economic problems under the rug. It's like, oh, great, we created this huge class of poor people, I know, <laughs> I have an idea of what we could do now, you know? Yeah, it sounds very reminiscent of the Third Reich, you know, if you're disabled or infirmed or old or whatever, you know, let's just eliminate you because yeah. we don't we don't want that burden on our society, right? Right, and it, it is a huge burden. I mean, what you see here really is it's this sort of unholy union of leftist economics and um, leftist social politics you know so it's like you you crash the economy with leftism uh then you solve your problems by killing the poor so kind of yeah. neat how that works out yeah <laughs> and, and you in your article you say that um that you quote one woman defends that defends this by saying quote as all canadians have rights to an assisted death people who are lonely or poor also have those rights and she yeah. She considers her work, quote, rewarding, and she uses the euphemism, as you say, quote, provided for. So, quote, I provided for him. Or when she helps someone commit suicide, she's provided for him. Yeah, yeah. She says this is the most rewarding work that my colleagues and I have ever done. So these are dangerous people. These are ideologues. Um, and she's in a position of tremendous power because the, the legalese of this is... Um, it has to be judged that your condition is, quote, grievous and irremediable, unquote. 
and so then well who yeah. makes the decision it's <clears throat> it's people like this this woman um so it's yeah it's it's a huge not huge to mention power. not to mention that you uh, um according to i think alexander Rakin you can go doctor shopping. So if right. one doctor says no to you, you can just go to another one and keep, keep doing that until someone says yes and yeah. we'll give you the lethal injection. Yep, that's right. We'll be right back after this short break. And um, you, you say in your article that some providers might experience, providers <laughs> might experience moral distress, but they have seminars to manage and minimize that distress. Right. Yeah. I mean, Raken has transcripts from, you know, these little roundtable discussions where what the guy's like now, you know, it's understandable that there could be moral distress involved with this job, but we're here to help you with that and help you manage that. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And talk about, because Raken talks about this as well, the case of Rosina, I don't know how you say her last name, Camus, Camus. Talk about her situation because this is, this is the, this is where the danger lies. Yeah, so this woman, I forget exactly how old she was. Um, I think she was in her 50s or 60s, uh, was severely disabled. She needed, like, 24-7 care, um, severe chronic pain, fibromyalgia, just a, a whole range of issues. Leukemia, chronic yeah. leukemia. Mm-hmm. Leukemia. And so um, she she was not entirely honest on, on her own end. Um, she... When she applied, she said it was because of her her physical conditions. But when she talked to the people she was close to, she was more honest with them. It said, really, what it is, it's the loneliness. I just can't stand not having friends, not having uh, people who who care. And she's, you know, she's on camera delivering like this little kind of monologue in bed where mm-hmm. she's saying, you know, people, if people just had like a hand to hold, you know, some, somebody to be with them, maybe they could make it. But instead, it's just like, well, if you're lonely, then euthanasia it is. So, you know, she was very, very vulnerable, very confused, um, really messed up. And so, I mean, they took this incredibly vulnerable, sad, hurting woman and basically just held her hand all the way down to her death. Um and there's this very chilling phone call that Raken has the an audio clip of where this woman on the other end is assessing her and and she's like don't worry it's a very elegant peaceful dignified death. death it's a very dignified death right yeah, yeah and she says she says there's nothing embarrassing about it you don't lose control of your bowels it's very elegant graceful dignified and uh so yeah that's and she doesn't right. even get she doesn't even get Rosina's name right. That's that's like one of the most chilling parts. She calls she keeps calling her Rosini, right? So it's just it's chilling. It's very chilling. Yeah, and so I want to just look a little bit at um, before I go on in your article. I want to look at Alexander Rakins and quote a couple of things from his article and just get your response. He's talking about this guy Les. Mm-hmm. who uh and he says the only he says the only thing that made does is to make my suicide socially acceptable yeah right that's les landry uh he's in a wheelchair and he's pictured in the article with his dog and he's he's one of those people who who will say i don't want to die i actually don't want to die um i just don't see how i can continue living and that yeah that line 
of, of making his suicide socially acceptable is is so telling and it, it really just it just encapsulates the whole sort of descent of, of Western civilization here as as manifest in the Canadian policy. Yeah, and he also goes on to quote uh, Amy Hasbrock, I guess that's how you say her name. She's a disability advocate, and he says that she told told me she told me that made is a way to quote get rid of disabled people, which is stunning. It's this is really stunning. I mean, tell that to Johnny Erickson Tata. Like, why this is the most diabolical thing I've heard. Yeah, but I mean, and and people, people will get mad if you say that out loud because they want to uh, go on living in this bubble where that's definitely not what's happening, but functionally that's what's happening. Yeah, it's uh, and then you go on to talk about in your article you talk about Richard Hanania. I don't know how you say his name, Hanania. Yeah, I, th- I think I would say Hanania. Yeah, Hanania. Now talk about him because he's an advocate of this. He's an advocate of made. Yeah. Talk about Richard Hanania and what his point of view is, what how he looks at this whole thing. Yeah, so Hanania is um, kind of a public intellectual, political analyst, um, writes about social science and all kinds of stuff at his Substack, And um, he had this article a few weeks ago that it, it was it was a sort of a it was a terrifyingly helpful article because he he's very, by the way the title, the, tar- the title of the article is canadian euthanasia as moral progress yes right so puts his thesis right out there he's he's not shy about it um so yeah this substack piece of his it's it's going through and explaining why this is actually a very good thing um he doesn't see any moral issues with it at all he doesn't even see too many issues in theory with expanding it even more down the road and he believes that um, if, if anything, we are too pro-life as a culture and um, programs like this are necessary to help correct that imbalance. And, um, you know, he's it's interesting because the, the way I lay, I lay it out in, in my piece, he's kind of making a two part argument. So the first part of his argument is the more typical thing that you might hear from liberals, you know, like, how could you? torture people by forcing them to stay alive in chronic pain? Um, Why can't you respect people's right to choose, respect their autonomy, Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff? So that's your classic liberal argument from autonomy, very similar to an argument for abortion. What's extra creepy about this article, though, is that he he goes even beyond that. He says, uh, this isn't just good because it's best for individuals suffering people who'd like the choice to end their life. Um, it's also forcing them to think about what's best for the common good, right? Mm-hmm. For everybody else around them. Um, because sometimes it just is better for everyone else around you if you kill yourself. And that's something we should encourage, right? We should encourage that sense of the common good in people, which is, uh, yeah, literally fascist. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like, and then it, of course, people in that position, people who are elderly or whatever in Canada are going to start to feel that pressure and, you know, implicitly or explicitly, they're going to feel that pressure from society, from their family, perhaps to say, you know what, I'm a burden now. I'm just going to go make an appointment at the local clinic and 
get my injection. Yeah. If, if you tell people their lives are meaningless over and over again, they start to believe it. And he says in, in his article, uh, he says, I'm going to quote a, just a short pair, a couple sentences or maybe one sentence. He says, it is true, for example, that some people might feel pressured to commit suicide because they don't want to be burdens on their families or the government. I don't think there is anything wrong with this. In, practic in practically every other kind of situation, it is usually considered pro-social to care about the impact your life has on others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty pernicious stuff. Yep. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know what, and then you quote, I love that you quoted Douglas Murray. If you have that quote, do you have it handy? Uh, yeah. So um, let, let me kind of contextualize. Douglas this. Murray reacts to this article and or reacts to this and he has such a great perspective on it. Well, so, um, so yeah, there's a couple of things. I actually, I don't know if Douglas has read this particular article, um, but um, he, he does follow euthanasia in general, and uh, he's been following its progress in different European countries, like Belgium, for example. Um, so my quote from Douglas comes from this article that he wrote about um, a teenager who was euthanized with PTSD um, after a, a terrorist attack, actually. And so um, I'm quoting this because Hanania in his article is saying, well, I think that, I mean, the system is just working. I don't know. I can't think of one case of assisted dying where people agreed that it shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, there's there was something in the Netherlands, but that was fake news. And so I'm pointing out, well, there is there is actually this girl in Belgium with PTSD. So this was Murray's report about it. And he said, executing a criminal would be illegal under the European Convention, the European Court of Justice, and a whole slew of related laws and protocols. That's because in the 21st century, Europe is so sophisticated that it is unacceptable to execute criminals. Executing their victims, by contrast, is not just acceptable, but logical. So how ironic that the terrorist who created this attack that gave this teenager her PTSD, he can't be executed, but will help her to kill herself if she wants to. Um, so Murray is just highlighting the completely backwards logic of that yeah the irony is, is is insane and then you and you go on in your article to talk about uh michelle i don't know how to say his last name Welbeck. michelle welbeck yes welbeck. He, he's right so he's um he's a french novelist raconteur kind of a you know sort of semi-romantic literary figure not a christian at all um but interestingly, is very anti-euthanasia. And so um, I, I, I get into some of what he says here, and it's very, it's very kind of dry and uh, entertaining. Um, but, I mean, he just really has no time for people like Richard Hanania. And so he's, he's talking about this idea of, of dignity and what, what human dignity actually means. Yeah, and... Uh... What you say that um, he talks about, tell us about, because he says something, he talks about, I'm going to end up losing my hair, my teeth, my lungs will be reduced to shreds, I will become steadily more or less impotent, more or less incapable, perhaps incontinent and possibly even blind. And he talks, about, he kind of talks about that and, and kind of talk about what, what he's saying here. Yeah, so I mean, 
basically he's he's beginning with he looks at Kant right and um, Kant's definition of of the human being and what he's saying is that if you make the argument that losing these different things these these physical capabilities if losing those things means that you've lost your dignity then you've reduced man it's a materialistic vision of man basically yeah. um that you're taking away the the immaterial component or the moral component right and you're just reducing him to like a pure physical being a pure animal it's like being. putting an, an, a dog to sleep basically exactly right and which we don't have a have a problem with it's like oh this cat is suffering enough we got to we should put it out of its misery. That's the human right. thing to do, which is okay because a cat is an animal. And so um, Welbeck, what's so interesting is that he's not, he's not a Christian, but he's a humanist in the sense of sensing that there is something unique and special about humans that differentiates them from animals. So he's insulted by the concept of euthanasia because he senses it as a, an insult, an assault, an attack on the uniqueness of human beings, right? And so it's like, no, we, we we need to assert that we are better than animals. We are more than animals. We are higher than animals. Um, and so he he launches it to this very, again, it's it's very funny. Um, it, he says, so so once a certain stage of degradation has been reached, I will inevitably end up telling myself that I no longer have any dignity. Well, so what? If that is dignity, one can very well do without it. Um, and, but he says, what we do need is we do need to feel loved. We do need to feel needed <laughs> because, and failing that, esteemed, even in my case, admired. So you can hear this all in a French accent, you know. <laughs> um, and he says, I, I, can, I can easily imagine asking, asking to die in the hope that others reply, oh, no, no, please stay with us a little longer. That right. would be very much my style, you know. Um, and so then he concludes, the conclusion, I'm afraid, is inescapable. I am a human being utterly devoid of all dignity. So, um, but what's interesting is that there's there's a different article kind of following up to that where he talks about how he, he feels a little bit um, like a fish out of water because He's kind of surrounded by Christians. Like he looks around, he doesn't really see anybody else making these arguments who is not a Christian. And it's kind of like little, Douglas Murray as well. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, kind of similar. Right. And so he's not sure what to do with that. He feels a little awkward. Uh, he, he doesn't want to be misunderstood. You know, it's, it's, I'm not taking Christian presuppositions here. I'm just starting with, you know, the oath of Hippocrates, first do no harm, right? And going from there. Um, so that in my article, I'm kind of I'm kind of digging into how interesting this is, and you know what it what it kind of what it kind of means, both philosophically and socially. Yeah, and you talk about Aristotle, and um, Aristotle, his one of his axioms was uh, I won't do the Latin, but he says basically, well, I will, <laughs> agere sequitur esse, and which means acting follows being. Talk about what that means and how that applies to this. Sure. So, so what that means is, um, as human beings, we are capable of reasoning. We have self-awareness. Uh, you know, we love each other. We we create all these things that only human beings can do. Um, so, all of those actions follow because of the kind of being that we are. 
So if you take away our ability to do any of those things, we still remain the kind of being who could do them, right? And so it's this question of what are we fundamentally and do mm-hmm. we have do we have do, an essence? Yeah. Do we have a telos as well? I mean, what's our telos? Exactly right. What's what's our telos and what is what is the nature of man? Is there such a thing as a nature of man? Or is the human being just a collection of um, things he can do all like strung together, right? And once you, if you take away those things one by one, or you take away the physical things one by one, like Welbeck is imagining, are you just kind of left with nothing? Like, is that all that there is to being a person? Or do you still have um, the core nature, the core essence left behind? So with Aristotle's notion of acting, following being, no matter what, you still have that core. You still exist as the person with that potential, even if it's gone, right? It reminds me of the the abortion argument too. It's like, is a is a fetus a person with potential or a potential person? Exactly. That's kind of a, that's a, a, a nicely, maybe accidentally Aristotelian argument. Yeah. And um, Ross Douthat, uh talks about well actually uh before we get to ross douthat i want to show this video that was done by a, a department this is a big still sense to me it's a called simon's department store a, yes. a department store did an ad glorifying yes. a canadian woman's choice for assisted suicide yeah and so i'm gonna let's look at this article and then i want to get your reaction Dying in a hospital is not what's natural. That's not what's soft. In these kind of moments, you need softness. take dying to figure out what living is actually like. I spent my life filling my heart with beauty, with nature, with connection. So I choose to fill my final moments with the same Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see music. I see the ocean. I see cheesecake. I seek help to end my life with all the pain and in these final moments there is still so much beauty you just have to be brave enough to see it
and seeing the rhythms of what's going to keep going after I'm gone bring a lot of comfort. So what do you make of this video? It's it's very, I mean, yeah, there's a number of things to say about it. Probably the first thing that should be said about it is it, it emerged later uh, that the, the woman in the video, her name is Jennifer Hatch. She was another one of these cases who, who would actually say that she wanted to live. Um, it was just that she... She was in her 30s, right? That's right. She was in her yeah. 30s. She had this rare... A genetic condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So basically, the her body wasn't producing enough collagen to hold the the tissue and the skin and the organs together. So she was in a lot of pain, um, and she was struggling to get the right care. And she, the way she put it, is she couldn't afford the resources that would help improve her quality of life. So she felt like she was locked in financially. And then her family doctor moved away. So she just decided, it, you know maybe it was it was easier and she she said this is a direct quote i feel like i'm falling through the cracks so if i'm not able to access health care am i then able to access death care and that's what led me to look into maid so um and then it's very ghoulish i think that this department store somehow learned about her got in touch with her said hey we'd like to do an ad campaign and it'll be you know this a commercialized vision of assisted dying. And so then, I mean, she, she agreed to do it. So, um, you know, it's not as if she was forced to make this ad, but I mean, she was definitely used. She was used for, for this commercial purpose. And so one thing that Douthat notes in, in his article is he's noting this very vaguely spiritual quality, right? Yeah. And, Notice there's, it, uh, she has this line, last breaths are sacred, right? So there's the, this word sacred. Where is that coming from? You know, like, wh- where are you planting this notion of, of the sacred? Um, but it's, it's all, it's like they're, they're trying to reach for a transcendent something, something, right? Um, some way to make the death feel meaningful, feel spiritual, feel sacred, feel like it has uh, you know, resonance beyond itself in some way. So, yeah, it's like a neo-paganist kind exactly. of Exactly. Yeah, thing. It's, a, it's a neo-pagan kind of thing. And so what Douthat says is, is very interesting. He says, looking at this video and then also looking at that substat by Richard Hanania, Richard Hanania is kind of harking back to like, something like the paganism of ancient Rome. So he uh, he talks about how great and romantic it was when Romans would commit patriotic suicide, right? Um, rather than be captured alive or something. Yeah. Like, for the sake of their country, they would kill themselves. And Hanania says, we're still able to be kind of inspired by that, despite 2,000 years of Christian influence. And so he's directly 
saying that this is intention with Christianity, but he's trying to kind of revive that, right? So Douthat says um, what Hanania is recognizing kind of subconsciously there is that you sort of need this this X factor, a kind of a pagan X factor in a way, um, to beef up just plain old garden variety secular liberalism. Um, because plain old secular liberalism doesn't have that sort of motivating power, um, that kind of driving force that gives meaning to an action like assisted suicide beyond just, I, I have freely chosen to do it and it's what's best for me. There's the, the instinct still remains to want to kind of plug it into something greater, something higher in some sense. So yeah, it feels like that. there's a there's a certain because of the music and the exactly. imagery, it's like yeah. very noble. Like the, what what she's doing is very noble, and it's even she even says it's courageous. It's courageous to kill yourself, right? Um, and she at the end, I don't remember how she's putting it exactly there at the end of the video, but like the the thought of how this will go on after I'm gone, it brings all of this comfort, right? Um, and so now, I mean, I'm sure, probably aesthetically. Richard Hanania wouldn't really like that video. He, he'd probably say it's kind of mushy. You know, it's, it's not really his style. I think Douthat has a point, though, that in, in his own way, in his own kind of brutal, you know, Roman semi-Nazi way, um, he's trying to do the same kind of thing. He's trying to kind of um, add a pagan motivating factor. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's this video. When I first saw this video, I was just so disturbed by it. So where does it, where do we go from here? Where, where do you think this is going to go in terms of not only Canada, but in the United States, is this going to come creep down here or what, what's going to happen with this? Well, I mean, obviously um, it's just politically geographically different because of how the United States is constituted as a country. So we already see this in certain select States like Oregon, for example, um, or California, I think Oregon probably is the the most advanced, so to speak. There's a few other states like that. So um, I think you'll you'll see like a gradual, like a state by state creep. And, you know, it'll it'll spread along the coasts. That's where it's already begun. So it'll continue spreading there in in those bluer states. Um, And from there, maybe bleed into some more purple states. There might be some states where it never takes hold you know I, I imagine um you know maybe maybe not texas maybe not montana right you know so those more, more red southern or western states it might really never be a thing per se um but i think you i think you will see a greater normalizing you can see i mean all through popular media hollywood um pop culture Movies like, I mean, think about Million Dollar Baby, right? That That's an old picture that's like, going back to 2004 about this female boxer who becomes paralyzed and then her trainer slips in and disconnects her from her machines and it's framed right. as this. Hillary right. Swank and um, exactly. Clint Eastwood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's framed as this very noble thing, right? Like it was the right thing to do. It's what she wanted, right? So um, – people have been working very hard over a number of years to try to normalize the idea of, of assisted suicide in people's minds. What is interesting to see here though, with 
Canadian, uh, the Canadian acceleration, is you are starting to see, and I quote from this woman who's writing at The Guardian, and she says up front, I'm a liberal, okay? I, I like the idea of assisted suicide in principle. It seems like a good idea, freedom to choose and all that stuff. But wow, I'm disturbed by this. This, this is moving way too fast. I, don't, I see red flags. I don't see enough safeguards. It seems like vulnerable people are being manipulated here. So it'll be interesting to, to see what happens there. If, if you'll see a kind of a bit of a backlash of moderate, squishy liberals, I call them, who they, they weren't ready for this, right? They, they, they hadn't quite been conditioned enough to where this seemed, nor- seemed normal. And now maybe they'll balk and say, wait a sec. And it might even, you know, one can hope and pray, might even kind of lead them to go back and even question some of their d- deeper liberal presuppositions um, and push them even in a more conservative direction than they were before. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's pretty alarming. And, um, you know, I live in California, so <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen here. It's going to get more permissive, I'm sure. But um, thanks to Gavin Newsom. But uh, we're going to leave it there. How can people find you and find your Substack? Because it's it's uh, great. Your Substack is great. So tell people how they can get a hold of you. Well, thank you. Uh, so the Substack it's it's very easy. It's just my name, BethelMcGrew.substack.com. That's how Substackers be like these days. Um, so uh, that that's where that's where I wrote this article. I've actually written a number of pieces around this issue there. Um, so. You can read some stuff for free, and then if you like it enough, there's a whole other level of paid content that you can unlock for only $40 a year. So I think that's a steal. But that's that's a steal. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. And then I'm on, I'm on Twitter if people do the, the Twitter thing. Um, and so I freelance at places like World Magazine and uh, First Things and other outlets like that. So if you follow me at Be McGroovy, that's where I uh, post new freelance stuff. Well, thank you, Bethel. Thank you for coming on and talking about this uh, very crazy subject. And um, and guys, we will see you next time on the show. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Want to learn more about God and his will for your life one verse at a time? I'm Quinice Petway, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. I'm inviting you to tune in and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.